Mark 8, and we are just going to begin reading a couple verses, starting in verse 34. Mark 8, 34. And it says this. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's say a quick word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to to get into your word together as a family, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would disciple us, that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts to understand the deep truths of God this morning, and that these things that you reveal to us, Lord, that they would lead us out, Father, that you would show us, Father God, not only how to see, how to understand, but how to apply, how to live according to your word, Father. Help us, God, to understand and to apply the more difficult passages, the more difficult things of following you and being your, your disciples. We love you in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning I want to talk about this concept of discipleship, of what it means to be a follower, like a dedicated, committed follower. Not a passive, but an active follower of Christ. It's often not easy, and if we find ourselves in a place where there seems to be kind of free-flowing and everything is going smooth, maybe then we should stop and consider, are we following rightly? Because Jesus promises trouble. He says to be my disciple, we have to deny ourselves. That's, that's not easy. It's difficult. It's challenging but it's so, so worth it. A few years, a matter of fact, it was less than a few years. Last year, I was thinking about you and I last year on a project we were working together. I was working with Eric. And um, so he had, he was running a building company, doing some construction, and asked me to, to give him a hand with it. And so I did. And we went over this customer's house. You'll remember this in no time. And so he had already sat with the homeowner who laid out the project with him and said, okay, here's the plan. Here's what I'm going for. He wanted to renovate his ba- basement and turn it into like, kind of like an in-law apartment. And so he said, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's, some, here's the ideas. I want to put up some walls here. I need some finish work. I need some flooring. I need doors, uh, the kitchen. He got the plans all set. They set the terms. They set the price. Okay, good. We're, we're, at, we're set to go. And he, Eric invites me in, and we start the project. And as soon as we start the project and start the work, there's the homeowner like this. What are you doing? (laughs) Why are you doing it like that? Remember? (laughs) Shouldn't you you move that over there? Why are you putting that piece there? You're cutting that too short. Have you ever had someone breathing down your neck when you're just trying to concentrate and do a job? (laughs) Your hand shot right up there. (laughs) Yeah. Is that not the most annoying thing? Like, dude, give me some space. I can't breathe. But this is, this is, I mean, it, maybe it was curiosity. Maybe it was just kind of like control. Like, if I don't look, then they're going to do it the wrong way. But constantly, o- just over the shoulder, watching. 
But not even just watching, like passively observing, but literally inserting his thoughts. Like, oh, shouldn't you be doing this? You're trying to tell the people that he hired to do the job, trying to tell us now how then to do the job. We get to the point where we're just kind of like, dude, why don't you just do it yourself? <laughs> right? <laughs> so now, but that wasn't, that wasn't the only thing. But what about, what about when he started changing the plans? and started seeing what, realizing what we were getting into and what was involved to get the project done, and now he wants to make change. And, and for some situations, that is actually nice for the contractor because any, that's called a change order. That's an extra. So we set a price for the job. We start doing the job, and now you want to change the job. We've got to go back and undo what we did and redo it. So, hey, that's just kind of more cash in the pocket if you want to change the plans that you gave us. But this was happening as we're doing the job. He starts changing his ideas. He wants to do it a little bit differently. And then it got to the point where it's time to now pay the price that was set and agreed upon. And even that was a challenge. Even that was difficult. It's like, dude, like, we had this, we had this in agreement. Why? Not only are you not letting us do the job you hired us for, not only then you're going to change the job, now you're going to not even want to pay the price. It made it, he made it such a difficult process to help him. He invited us in to do the job, but then at every step was challenging the job, stopping it from getting done. I think about this this morning because I think this, we find ourselves oftentimes as Christians doing this. We invite the Lord into our lives and we say, God, I surrender. Have your way in me. Oh, why are you doing that? <laughs> God, I, I, I need you. I want you in my life. Have your way. Shouldn't you be, shouldn't that go over there? Wait, why are you touching that? I didn't, no, no, no. I want you to fix the basement. Don't touch the top floor. <laughs> this is what, this is as believers. We come to the Lord and we say, oh God, just have your way. Because we feel the goodness and the love of God. And, and, and it inspires trust in us. And we say, yes, Lord. I say yes to your will and to your way. And then his will and his way begins to enter our lives. And then we say, ooh, wait a second. That's a little uncomfortable. That's, I didn't think I was signing up for that. Can you, can you just, I surrender this part to you. Have this. Have your way over there. But not over here. But we kind of change the terms for which we allow the Lord to work into. See, here's the interesting thing. The New Testament teaches us that to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, it's just a matter of believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, and you will be saved. We're a Christian. We're saved from, from the eternal separation from God. So now we're a Christian. Just believe, and we're a Christian. But to be a disciple, that's something different altogether. To be a disciple... Jesus lays it out right here in these passages we just read. To be a disciple, it's more than belief. To be a disciple, we deny ourselves. To be a disciple, we take up our cross and we follow Jesus everywhere he leads. It's his terms, not ours. So this, the question that I have to ask myself this morning is, am I a, Christian, am I a disciple of Christ or just a Christian? Jesus wants disciples. He wants followers. And it's not something that happens passively 
It's not, a, it's not a decision that we make and then kind of walk away. Being a disciple is a decision that we make over and over again. It's a commitment to follow and to let the Lord's will into our lives. See, so many times we've made the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's about getting something from God. Instead of being transformed, instead of being changed, it's just about getting something. I believe in you, so now I can have that peace. Okay, I just trust. And it's there, but that's the beginning point. That's just scratching the surface. There's more. It's not just about getting. It's about giving. It's about being one with him. And the way that we become one with him is by giving all of ourselves to him, not holding anything back. He wants disciples, and discipleship doesn't happen by default. That's not a default mode. Discipleship is something that happens actively. So in this passage, Jesus is telling us what it takes to be a disciple. If you want to be my disciple, and he lists these three, these three things. But to really understand what exactly he's saying and the point he's trying to make here, it's challenging for us living in 2019 because we don't understand the concept of discipleship. See, this is a very familiar and common thing in the first century. Disciples would follow their rabbis, and this was a very, a very common thing. So what would happen is the students, the children, the boys and the girls, they would be raised, and as they're raised, in their younger years, they're, they're learning all of the Torah. They're learning all of the Holy Scriptures and memorizing it by rote. They're memorizing all that it means. And so now as they become a little bit older of age, they have all of that knowledge here, but now they get to the age where they're looking for a rabbi. They're looking for a teacher now who will show them how to take the knowledge that they have here, how to interpret it, understand what it means, and then actually apply it. So by the time they've, they've been raised through their childhood, they have all the, the knowledge is there. That's not a question. They don't need to be trained in knowledge. Now it's interpretation and application. How do we do this? How do we live? And so they would seek, seek out a rabbi. So they would find a rabbi who they thought was honorable or very respectable in the community, and then they would go make a request, may I be your disciple? Can I be one of your followers? And then the rabbi would choose to either reject and say, no, I just don't think you're a good fit, or say yes. But upon the acceptance of that student as a disciple, it was a given that they were now accepting the authority of that rabbi into their lives. And that disciple was now going to be someone who they were going to adhere their life to the teaching of that rabbi, to the lifestyle of that rabbi. It was more than just concepts. It was they now... they. That disciple was finding, looking for a rabbi that they wanted to shape their life after. And so now that rabbi was the one who was going to teach them in how, to, how to apply the Torah, the Holy Scripture, into their lives. And so discipleship in a rabbi was a matter of desire. That disciple chose that. Not chosen by the rabbi, but the disciple found who, wanted, who they wanted to be their mentor, their teacher, and then they would go after him. And upon acceptance, they completely sur submitted and surrendered to that rabbi's teaching, and they trusted him. What was a given was the knowledge. Again, like I said, they had all that knowledge. Now it was a matter of what do we do with this? How does this work out into my behavior? How does this work out into my family? 
Another thing that was a given was transparency. For a disciple working with their rabbi, that rabbi now had full access and full right into every nook and cranny of that disciple's life. And not only did he have right, it was expected that that rabbi would question consistently, oftentimes, why are you doing that? What did you do that for? What's happening here? Always constantly probing. That, wasn't, that was expected of the disciple. He was expected to, to be probed and asked all these questions, always being challenged on what he was doing because there's reasons behind it. What's the purpose? What's the thought behind this? He's teaching them how to critically think about the scriptures that he had memorized. So that transparency was a given. The other thing that was given in discipleship was community. Because if you found a rabbi that you wanted to sit under and be their disciple, that was not in private. Nobody was a private disciple. There were schools of disciples. There were groups of men. This is why Jesus himself had the 12 disciples. We call it a yeshiva, the group of disciples sitting under that teacher. Discipleship happened in community. So as they would wrestle through topics and issues, it wasn't just the disciple and his rabbi. It was the disciples mingling and wrestling with one another in these concepts. It didn't happen alone. It didn't happen in seclusion. Discipleship happens in community. This was a given. And the rabbi's goal was to develop in every one of his disciples discernment so that they would now learn to know and think for themselves and what to do with the scriptures and how to apply the scriptures into whatever would come their way. It wasn't a matter of the, of the rabbis teaching a formula it wasn't black and white. If this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. See, this is what we want. Just, just teach me how to do it. Just tell me the steps. Five steps of how to pray. Pray well. Four steps to humility in your life. We want to make everything a formula. <laughs> we want to make everything a formula, and you can't do that in this life. And that would, the idea of that would be um, abhorred by these rabbis. You, you don't do that. What we're teaching is we're teaching you to discern. We have to use discernment. This is why for us today, the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment and teaches us how to weigh things. So the rabbi's goal was to teach the disciples discernment. And the disciples' goal was to emulate their rabbi in every way of life. Not just learn, but emulate them. Copy, diligently follow exactly what they're seeing with their eyes, the way that he lives, the way that he interacts with his family, the way that he carries himself in the community, how he handles himself when he goes to the market. Those disciples' goal was to work hard to do exactly what that rabbi was doing. There's a story, true or not, I don't know, but there's a story of one disciple who went and snuck and hid in his rabbi's bedchamber so that when the disciple got his own wife, he would know how to be intimate with his wife. He wanted to do it exactly like his rabbi did it. This is how intently these disciples would follow their rabbis. We exactly like that. <laughs> what, dead silent? Are you guys awake? Come on, is that not hilarious? Wow. Oh, we can't go there. Wait, oh, we're not that kind of church. Okay, sorry. We have to be totally serious. Okay. <laughs> Come on now, guys. So a disciple of Rabbi Jesus, in following what a disciple is, is someone who is totally surrendered to Jesus, 
totally accepting his way of seeing things, his way of doing things. And so as a disciple, that comes with a willing desire to conform all aspects of life to the authoritative leadership of Jesus Christ. That's our choice. Jesus doesn't make us do anything, but our choice. You want to be a disciple? He's not going to reject you, but here is what it takes. Completely accepting his will into our lives. No exceptions. We don't give him the terms. He's laid them out and he wants us if we accept it. And that's what it means. So jumping into our scripture this morning in Mark chapter 8, actually going to back up a few verses to verse 27 where Jesus is talking with his disciples. And it says there, it says in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples, they went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do, you, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter piped up first, he answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So this passage right here where, where Peter confesses Jesus is the Messiah, this, is, this passage is known as the Good Confession. Peter is declaring, you are the Messiah. What does it say? Acknowledge Jesus' lordship. This is where salvation is found. This is a good confession. But really, even in this moment, as some, some people would say, a lot of people have this verse repeated at baptism because they're saying like officially, like Jesus is the, is the Messiah. He is my Lord. And they get baptized. Okay, now it's official. So this is like a step in conversion. It's the way some people see that. But for Peter... Conversion began way in the beginning, when Jesus first called him out of the boat. When he was, and it's found in Luke chapter 5. Jesus sees him in the boat, takes him out fishing. He says, listen, throw your nets on the other side. He says, oh, I'm exhausted, Lord, but just because you said so. And then he pulls up. He couldn't even count the amount of fish that came up. And instantly, Peter's reply to Jesus was, he realized that he was more than just a mere man. And he said, get away from me, Lord. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful man. His first acknowledgement was, I am not worthy of whoever and whatever you are. There was acknowledgement of, you are greater, I am less. And he accepted his sinful state. The conversion began there. But really, what I would propose this morning is this. Conversion, it's not a one-time event. It's not something that happens and then you just move on with life. Conversion is a continual process. is an ongoing process. Here, Jesus asked, asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter again says, you are the Messiah. You're not just my rabbi. You're not just my mentor. You're more than that. You are the son of God. You are the one that the prophets of old were foretelling was going to come, and you're standing before me. Peter's confessing this to him. You are the savior of this nation. So Peter now is in this process of continual conversion. See, the, the meaning of conversion is this. It's, it's, it's to change in character or in function. It's an ongoing thing. It doesn't mean that you change one time and then we're good. I don't know about you, but when I came to the Lord for the first time and accepted him in my life, I'm very different from the person I was at that time because that was one small step. 
And I hope to God, and I believe in faith, that in a week from now, in a month from now, in a year from now, I'm going to be a different person standing here before you than I am right now. Because it's ongoing. And I trust my rabbi, I trust my Jesus as his disciple. I want to emulate him in every way. I want to continue to convert, conform to his likeness, and put my old ways away. Thank God for the progress that he has made in my life and for all the things that he's done in my heart. But man, he's just beginning. There's so much more ahead. There's so much more beyond. See, faith in Christ, it converts us from death to spiritual life. We are alive in him, and the the scripture promises we are a new creation now. It's done. We are a new creation. But this process of conversion, of conforming, is ongoing. It has to continue. And as long as we are accepting Jesus' will into our lives, we are converting. We are in that process. But the point that we stop accepting his will is the point where the conversion comes to a halt. That's where our conversion stops. Oswald Chambers um, has a quote about this I'd like to share with you. He says this, To refuse to be continuously converted puts a stumbling block in the growth of our spiritual life. There's areas of our self-will in our lives where our pride pours contempt on the throne of God. And it says, I won't submit. See, we deify our independence and self-will, and we call them by the wrong name. What God sees as stubborn weakness, we call strength. There are whole areas of our lives that have not yet been brought into submission, and this can only be done by this continuous conversion. Slowly but surely, we can claim the whole territory for the Spirit of God. He wants all of us. He wants all of us. And Peter makes this declaration, you are the Messiah, I accept you, I'm coming after you. And then Jesus, it goes on to say this in verse 31, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now he's rebuking the Messiah. Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So as soon as they declare that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus begins to go a little deeper and say, hey, here's what's going to happen to me as your Messiah. I'm going to face suffering. I'm going to face death, but I will rise again. But this doesn't sound very pleasing to Peter's ears, who just declared, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to follow you. But now, you, wait, you're, you're, what? What's happening to you? I call this Peter's satanic encouragement. Peter takes Jesus aside and says, that will never happen to you, Lord. Never be it. Jesus recognizes what's happening. He sees this is not the will of God being spoken over him. So whose will is it? It's being whispered into his life. Jesus calls it out for what it is. He says, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter had in mind 
the concerns of man. He had in mind the things that he desired. And when we come to the Lord, a lot of times we have our own desires in mind. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. And then when the hardship comes, we say, wait, 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 this is not it. And then we try to rebuke those things as if they weren't from God. When Jesus promised that we were going to have to deny ourselves, he promised you this is going to be hard. If you want to be a Christian and just have faith and leave it there, that's one thing. But if you want to be a disciple, if you want to actually emulate Jesus Christ, if we want to become like him, if we want to, like the scriptures say in Roman, be conformed to the likeness of Christ, that's going to be hard. And we have to accept and expect hardship in our life. And through those things, God is glorified. Through those things, as long as we can accept it, we are being discipled, we are growing in him. We are becoming more like him. He uses these things. Everything in life, every experience in life is a teaching and growing opportunity if we can accept it as such. If we want to fight it and try to preserve ourselves, justify ourselves, guard ourselves, we stop the lesson. We halt our conversion and we say, Jesus, as your disciple, I've gone as far as I can go. But Jesus says, come, come deeper. There's more for you. Yeah, it's hard, but we're not playing for the short game. We're playing for the long game. Lose your life now and you can't even imagine what's in store waiting for you. Follow me there because I'm not going to drag you. Follow me there. This is your choice to be a disciple. Follow me. Don't give up now. You're almost there. He wants us to follow after him. And so the question now is how much are we willing to endure? Is there a line that we'll go as far as, we'll go up to the line, and then that, I just, I, I can't, I can't go any, can't go any further than that. Last week, um, our guest speaker, Rebecca, spoke out of Joshua, and she was sharing with us the story of how Joshua was leading the people over the, through the Jordan River to Jericho to possess the land that God promised for them, right? Well, right before they enter uh, Jericho and then take that battle, Joshua himself has an experience. It's in Joshua chapter 5. He's out in the field, and as he's out in the field, it says in Joshua 5.13, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Joshua went up to him and he asked him, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, the man replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? See, in this passage, Joshua knows that God is leading them into the promised land. And as he's out in this field, he sees a man with a drawn sword. He's like, what's this all about? Who, who, are you? who is this strange person? So he doesn't shrink back. He goes up to it. He approaches and says, are you for us or against us? Prepared to battle. And the commander of the Lord's army says, I'm not for or against you. I'm for the Lord, the commander of the Lord's armies. See, when we come to the Lord and we accept, we, uh, accept his model, his mentoring, his salvation into our lives, he doesn't come on our side. 
We have accepted his position. We have moved to his side. Sometimes we, we get this perception now that God is fighting for me. But we now have joined the Lord's side. He is for you as long as you are on his side. God is the immovable, unchangeable God. As long as we are with him, he is for us. But if we turn and oppose him, he's not for us in that place. And there's a reason for that. We always have these mixed desires, these mixed emotions. Us, He is not for your flesh. He is for your soul. Always for your soul. He wants what's best for you. And in order to have that, we must move and mold to him. It's all about him. It's about letting him change us and moving to that change. Being a disciple is intentionally, with effort, moving towards that change. Not that the effort will earn us anything, but because we want to be like him. Do you want to be like him? Do you want to be a disciple? Or are you content with being a Christian? Do we want to intently follow, or do we want to sit back and passively say, have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. He moves with you. He empowers you. No, we can't do it in ourselves, but that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, because he wants us to do it. I've given you all the power, all the ability that you need. Now go do it. I gave you my spirit for a reason, not to sit inside you while you sit in the chair and watch people move around you. You have my spirit, and he moves you. Let him move you. Don't fight it. I love how one, one um, preacher put it this way. It's like we're the glove that just sits there, inanimate, just not even moving. But when he comes and fills us, that Holy Spirit comes inside of us. It's like putting the hand in the glove, and it's moving. It controls the glove. The glove's not doing any of the work but it's involved in all of the work because of what's inside of it. God wants us to move with his Holy Spirit. Sometimes I feel like some of us are just kind of like this, like this bump on a log, and, and Jesus is just kind of like, like, do something. Do, do something. <laughs> move! Come on, go! Let's do this! He wants disciples. He wants active followers. He wants worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth, and that requires every aspect of our life. Not the pocket change that we have, but everything. It all belongs to him, and he wants it all. To be a disciple costs us everything. Everything. Salvation is free, but do you want to be a disciple? Give him all of it, and watch what he can do with it. Watch what he can do with it. Again, Jesus goes on after he warns them what's coming, and he says this. After he rebuked Peter for, wanting his, for, for trying to speak over his life, Peter's own desires, instead of accepting Jesus' will, then he called the crowd to him. See, he was, Jesus was talking to just the disciples. Then he calls the whole crowd over, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. These three things that he says, if you want to be a disciple, there are these three things, and they kind of build on one another. First, step one is deny yourself. 
The things that you once wanted, you have to give that up for the things that I want. This is almost, for, for the place and time that they were, this is almost kind of like discipleship 101. Like if you asked to be a disciple, this is a given. You put your will aside for the will of the rabbi. And it's the same thing for us today. If we want to be a disciple, we put our desires away for the will of Jesus, our Savior, because we're trusting in his knowledge, in his wisdom, more than our own. That's why he is our Lord. So we got to deny, deny ourselves. Sometimes in our awareness of our own sin, sometimes a, a uh, condemnation can kind of come over us. We feel this guilt, and something inside of us, this the humanness of us, feels as though if we put more effort in, we can earn the favor of God. The way one person puts it is, it's harder is holier. The more difficult thing you do for God, the more favor you're going to earn for Him. You're, you're more holy because you've, you've tried more. But self-denial in and of itself doesn't do anything for you. It's giving up our will for His. That's what does it. Desiring, accepting His will into our lives. The second thing is taking up the cross. What does it even mean to take up our cross? What would it mean to them? We have to ask what it would mean to them because when He makes this statement, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. They didn't know what he was going to do. They didn't understand it all. All of a sudden, he comes out with a statement about, to follow me, you have to take up your cross. See, today, we use crosses as jewelry, decoration, art, these nice things. It's a symbol of, of love or sacrifice. But that wasn't the case then. See, in those, in those days, the, cro the cross was a symbol of death by the most humiliating and painful means that there is. It was a fairly common practice under the Roman Empire. If someone had broken the law or rebelled against the government, then this is how they would be executed. They would be beaten. They would be made to carry their own cross, their own, their own device of execution. They're carrying it on their own back to the destination where the deed is going to be done. So they would see people on occasion walking through the street out to the city gate with their own cross on their back so that they could be killed there. The shame involved in that, carrying your own execution device, humiliation, the drawn-out pain. And Jesus says, hey, whoever wants to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. To them, it meant shame, meant pain and death. It's almost as appealing as the time where Jesus said, to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was great at rounding up a crowd. <laughs> he knew right how to motivate people. <laughs> but he's looking for sincere followers. In other words, these, these concepts, these ideas that would cause people to stumble because you can't see past it, you can't see the meaning behind it. If you're only here for shallow reasons, then here's your stopping point. Jesus is looking for sincere, genuine followers. Follow me all the way to the end. This was hard for them to swallow, the fact that they had to now take up their cross. It didn't even seem logical. 
They didn't know what Jesus was going to do. It wasn't until after he had gone on the cross, risen again to life, and then they experienced firsthand the ultimate act of love. He, He transformed the image of the cross from shame and death to the ultimate act of love and sacrifice. See, it was his cross in ours today when we accept it that takes the love that we have, it takes it outside the realm of the natural and into the supernatural. Jesus said that we're supposed to be known for our love because the love that's inside of us isn't natural. And that's displayed for all to see when our love shows us taking up our cross, taking up offense, and accepting it and continuing to move in love. Continuing to move in confidence. In the face of ridicule or shame or hurt, we keep moving in love even towards those who cause us the hurt or shame. It's unconditional love. It's a love that's easy for us to receive. It's easy for us to sing about. It's also easy for us to take for granted. But it's very difficult for us to give that kind of love. To give the kind of love that when I have been offended, when I have been wronged, when I have been judged, I'm going to take that offense, I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to keep moving. Because it's not you I'm following. I'm following Jesus. And he showed me to accept offense and keep moving to the destination. I'm going to take whatever you have. It's not going to touch me here because Jesus is here. I'm going to accept it. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to protect myself because he protects me, and I'm going to keep following the way that he leads. Rise above. Rise above by taking the offense, picking up our own cross. See, it's so easy. Offense is such a personal thing. So easy. Yes, you have reason to be mad. You have reason to guard yourself. You have reason to retaliate. You do. You have, it's justifiable. But Jesus doesn't tell you to preserve yourself. He doesn't tell you to protect yourself. Jesus tells you, if you want life, give yours up. That's hard to give. That's not the life of a Christian. That's the life of a disciple actively following him. For some of us, we've made that statement of accepting him. Lord, I believe in you. I give you my faith. We've invited him in. And, and then once we get a glimpse of the kind of things that he wants to do or what he's trying, the ways he's trying to work in our lives, we kind of, we, we kind of stop and we, we hang on the fence. We consider it, oh, I really want this. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, Get off the fence. Get under your cross and follow me. If you have to think about it, are you a disciple? Do you want it? Do you want to be a disciple because he will not force it on you? You choose if you want to be a disciple. You choose how far you will go. And that third statement that he gives us is this. After we we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, which is another deeper, deeper level of denying ourselves. And the third one is following Jesus. It culminates in this, following Jesus. We deny ourselves for his way, and his way is so hard. 
It's so difficult because it goes against our flesh. It goes against our nature. And this is why Jesus has to give us a very new nature when we accept him. He now makes us a new creation. We need a new nature to be able to live this stuff out. We have to live according to our new person and not according to the old man that has gone away. But we have to live as that new person that God has made us. We have to tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit that's been put inside because if you try to do it in your own power, you will fail. You will get frustrated. You will get angry at God. You will keep striving. You will put in more effort and keep failing. And then you will get to the point where you say, forget it all. Or maybe we'll strive to the point where we just say, oh, I just have to believe. I just have to believe and stop trying. He didn't say stop trying. He said just follow. Don't stop trying, but tap into the power of the Holy Spirit who will enable you to do this. Don't try in your own strength. Do it with the strength of the Lord. Because none of us can do it all. He will lead us one thing, one movement, one action, one word at a time. It's too overwhelming to consider, oh my, he wants to change my whole life. I, for, before I even try, I, I give up now. He doesn't change all of that. That's why conversion is ongoing for the rest of your life. He works on one little thing at a time. One moment, one area, one issue at a time. And he will see you through that. He's not a hard taskmaster. He will give you the strength that you need to obey and follow him in every way that he leads. But it's all about following him. Jesus' final instructions, the end of Matthew, the end of John, is that we would go, that we would make disciples. He said, I'm sending you into this world. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He wants us to go and and be disciple makers. But man, sometimes I, I think that's like that's like 10 levels above beyond where we are. Some, some days we get up and it's just like, can I be a disciple today? We have to first be a disciple before we can make one. We can't make something that we know nothing of. There's no integrity in that. There's no sustainability in that. God wants active followers. Discipleship is not something that happens by default. It's something that happens by intentionality and action. So we could ask even this, where does my discipleship show? You can only ignore that so long. Where does my life show my discipleship? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself. You take up your cross. You accept the offense. You accept the shame. You accept pain. And then we follow him. Where does my life show that? Where am I denying myself for his will? Where am I putting aside the things that I would rather do to accept the things that he wants to do? Where am I closing the door to things in my life where he wants to open new ones? Where and how am I following Jesus? Do we choose to surrender and submit to Jesus in, in every aspect of our life? Are we, are we content with just being a Christian?
Just giving my faith. More like that transaction. I give you my faith. You give me my forgiveness. We're good. Jesus doesn't want transaction. He wants all of us. Nothing left in between us and him. No surprises. It's all on the table. We're all his. And in exchange for, the, for that, we get all of him. All of him. We think about some of the things that we commonly do in church and um, praying with one another, attending Bible study or, or serving in some kind of ministry, uh, memorizing scripture. We don't have to do any of this stuff. We don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But we can do it. Those are opportunities that we have. And Jesus says, do you want to be my disciple? Deny your will, accept mine, and move with me. If we want to be a disciple, we will take action and make it an intention to learn, an intention to be in community with our brothers and sisters. It's an intention. It's not going to happen by us passively sitting back and watching others. It happens as we engage the Lord, as we engage the body of Christ. And then we foster that movement that happens around us. Now something special can begin to happen because we're engaging. Now we've given him something to work with. Now he can take us deeper. He can take us to the next level. He can show us those new things. He can speak to us and answer when we pray. Sometimes we feel, man, I'm praying and I'm just not getting anything. Where, where is he? I don't feel him. Have you followed him? Have you denied yourself? Have you taken up your cross? He's there speaking and moving and revealing. But are you listening? Are you moving with him? Are you accepting his lordship, his authority into your life? We need to accept his authority. Sometimes we feel like we know what's right. We know what's best. And we want to be in charge. But his authority says, put that down and go over here. If we don't put that down and go over here, when he says so, our conversion is halted. Our discipleship is halted until the moment now we can turn it over and now continue to follow, continue to deny self. I'm going to close with this, this quote from... Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor, a theologian, um, and actually a spy during World War II, ended up being a martyr. He was asked uh, in 1943, how was it possible for the Christian church to sit back and let Hitler seize absolute power over Germany? He answered firmly, and he said, it was the teaching of cheap grace. He went on and said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Jesus wants all of us to accept him and to be his disciple is to accept his will over our own. Are you his disciple today? Do you want to be his disciple? Choose today. This is your choice. Free will. What it is that you want. And let your actions follow through with that decision. Let's pray. Lord.
I thank you so much that you gave it all for us. And I pray, Lord, open our eyes so that we can look in the mirror and see ourselves for who we are. Will you show us your perspective of us? Show us who we truly are, Lord. If there is any way in our hearts that is unyielded to you, any area of our hearts where we are refusing to deny ourselves, will you just show it to us, Lord? Forgive us. And bring us to this place, Lord God, where we can turn it all over. Give us the strength, Lord God, to accept your will over our own. Give us the strength, Lord God, to pick up on those times where, where we're in a situation and it's time for us not to engage in the friction and the frustration, but just to pick up the cross, just to accept it and move with you. In those times, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken us and let us be ambassadors of your love and truth in those moments by taking up your cross. Not by standing up and making a defense, but by taking up our cross and continuing to follow. God, would you make us disciples? Take us into the deeper things, Lord. This morning, Lord God, we reaffirm our commitment to follow you. And thank you so much for your ultimate patience. Thank you for your long suffering with us, God. You're so good. You're so kind and gentle with us, Lord. But Lord, far be it from us to take your gentleness and kindness for granted and just run amok the way we see fit. We want to be your disciples. We don't want to just know about you, but we want to know you because we're following after you. We're watching you and we're copying you. We reaffirm our commitment to you, Lord. Give us the strength to live this out today, tomorrow, and the days to come. Continue to convert our hearts to the character of Christ. We give all ourselves to you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.